This episode is sponsored by Brooklyn Candle Studio. If you are like me and you love candles throughout your home just to give an extra sense of luxury and serenity and make me think that I'm at the spa when I'm not, um, then you're going to love this company. Brooklyn Candle Studio is female-owned and was founded by Tamara Main in 2013. Everything is made in Brooklyn and everything has a very luxurious feel to it. Um, The candles are 100% soy wax, plant-based and renewable. All the products are free from phthalates, parabens, sulfates, petroleum, and dyes. And all of the vessels that they come in can be reused and repurposed because they're so beautiful. Like you can just put Q-tips and leave it in your bathroom and it'll just be a nice addition to that. So if you want to check them out, please head on over to brooklyncandlestudio.com and use my code MOTHERHOOD20 to save. You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so glad that you're here, and I'm excited to share the work of my guest with you this week because it affects all of us, but especially those parents with young daughters. Now, I think anyone caring for girls today knows that our daughters, students, and girls next door are more anxious and more prone to depression and self-harm than ever before. The question that no one has yet been able to credibly answer is why. And that's why I'm so excited to share the work of my guest with you this week, because she's diving into the why, and most interestingly, it's rooted in a biological phenomenon specific to girls. So once you have that information, you can then offer strategies, which is exactly what she's doing in her book, Girls on the Brink to talk about how we as parents, families, and the human tribe can secure a healthy emotional inner life for all of our girls in a strategic way that speaks to this biological component of safety that girls need to feel in order to combat anxiety, depression, and feelings of self-harm. So this is a crucial, another crucial episode. I'm so glad to have a platform to share this out. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you share it out to everybody that you know, especially if they have a young daughter who's coming up in the world. Um, it's, it's just not an easy place anymore. But when you're armed with the knowledge and the research and the science that's been done to address these emerging issues, then you win. You know, it doesn't beat you. You can create the life that you want to create for your family, for your children, and then that passes on to the next generation and lifts all of us up. So hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you go and get the book. Please enjoy this conversation with Donna Jackson Nakazawa. Well, hello, Donna. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Such a pleasure to be here, Liz. Yeah. So in reading your new book, Girls on the Brink, I love that one the very first statement in your introduction is that you can gauge the health of a society by how it treats its girls and how its girls are faring. So how would you say the girls in this country are faring? Well, we know over the past 10 to 20 years, we've seen escalating unprecedented rates of anxiety, anxiety, depression, mood disorders, self-harm, eating disorders in girls. And what's particularly worrisome is that these different kinds of concerns are arriving earlier and earlier in girls' lives by ages 12 or 13. Just to throw out a couple of statistics, um, one third of girls now say that in the past year, 
they have had a major depressive episode. Now, let's be clear, that's a loss of interest in activities. It's, you know, not wanting to get out of bed for six weeks or more. We're not talking just a fluctuation after, you know, during finals or after a breakup. We're talking something really systemic here. We also know that rates are going up very, very significantly and steeply for girls. And we're not seeing that same dramatic increase in boys. Now, boys are struggling too. I know we'll get to that and I hope we will. But this requires attention. The rate of anxiety disorders in girls is twice that than it is in boys. And over the past year, the suicide rate in girls rose 51% and it rose 4% in boys. So we're worried about girls and we're worried about boys but it would be a mistake and a disservice to all of our children to turn a blind eye to what is happening. Yeah. And I also liked in the book how you said, it's not just that we're more aware that uh, there's a higher rate of depression in girls and it's not like you're diagnosing more. There is something else going on. So can you talk about your reason behind why you think this is happening and how, if you're a parent tuning in, you can start to recognize the signs that this might be happening to your daughter. Well, the book is really constructed in three parts for that very reason, because as a writer, you're always, you know, you spend two years a fly on the wall with the top researchers in the world and following individuals, in this case, three young girls for two years through their adolescence. And when you put it all together, you want to structure it in a way that's really, um, that's easy and accessible for people. So the first third of the book is really about what's happening to our girls and what life is like for our girls right now, because it wasn't that way for any of us who are mothers. (laughs) If you're old enough to have a daughter, it wasn't that way for you. And number two is the science behind why this is happening And in that, I follow, you know, a dozen of the leading sages in the country, maybe in the world, who study neurobiology and the intersection of neuroscience, immunology, and our lived experience. So I want to share, to answer your question, why is this happening, some of what they told me. So number one, we only began to look at the female brain in response to stress in 2016. Before that, all the studies that were done on the intersection of stress, how it affects the developing brain, were done in male models and preclinical research. And, you know, all research starts in animal models and what we call preclinical and translational research. The reason being Researchers wanted to keep those pesky hormones out of it, right? Mm -hmm. Because you couldn't be doing these different early uh, explorations and this early research into the developing brain and what happens when it meets chronic, ongoing, unrelenting stress and suddenly have estrogen come rushing in. So everything was done in the context of the male brain and in the context of testosterone and how it comes in and modulates stress. 
So in 2016, NIH asked very nicely that researchers begin to look at the female model for the intersection of stress. And the findings started to be explosive because the differences are pretty, pretty big. So I'm going to break this down. Estrogen is different than testosterone. We all know that. We have estrogen to thank for the fact that as women, we can do as much as men in smaller bodies and with smaller organs, by the way, because we also have to be able to carry a nine-month baby in our body. Why can we do as much on less estrogen? Thank estrogen. Estrogen mm-hmm. packs a super immune wump when we are confronted with viruses or in any kind of situation where there is a lot of emotional stress and the body begins to feel unsafe. Why? Thank estrogen, because estrogen across evolutionary time allowed us to be more protective toward carrying another human life. So that's why when women get vaccines, they have a bigger measurable immune response to vaccines. You can thank estrogen for that too. So hold that thought, right? Now let's just look at the developing brain in general. Early on in the womb, it's actually females who have an advantage because Females happen to have more guardrails thanks to the X chromosome in the womb. So they've got an XX and that allows for more cushion to environmental influences. This is why boys tend to have more issues in the womb and after they're born. And I can attest to this. My son When he was first born, he was in intensive care on and off the first few months of his life. And that is just more, we see more early in life issues with boys. Mm -hmm. All of that flips when estrogen comes in. Because the developing brain has one question that it asks throughout development, am I safe? Or am I not safe? Mm. This is the most important question to the brain. And as kids go through development, the more chronic stressors there are in their lives, the less safety they feel in, in their home lives, the more they begin to feel that the world they're growing up into is not safe. And the brain takes that very seriously and begins to send signals to the immune system to ramp up its preparation for bad things. And when puberty comes in, which is happening earlier and earlier in girls, estrogen ups that stress threat response in ways that over time begin to harm the female body and the developing brain. This episode is sponsored by Lunia. Lunia's mission is to elevate rest ever since it was founded in 2014 by Los Angeles native Ashley Merrill 
Now, if that name rings a bell, there's a good reason because she has been on the show not once, but twice. The most recent episode, episode 245. Now, we talk all about motherhood and managing stress and running a business, but we also talk about her beautiful brand. Known for pioneering washable silk, they have since expanded into other signature fabrics like organic, pima, and cozy cotton silk. Everything Lunia makes is designed to tangibly improve rest with products as functional as they are beautiful. Lunia maintains a painstaking attention to detail, quality, and construction because they see their pieces as the anti-old t-shirt. They are the uniform for those who share their belief that resting is the most important time of the day. So if you would like to get some Lunia apparel of your own, please use my code UNSTRESS20 to save at lunia.co. That's L-U-N-Y-A dot C-O. That's incredible. And and that was one of the biggest things that surprised me when I was reading the book is how it affects them on girls on such a biological level, because you're right. We haven't ever heard of this before. I can't believe that it was only a few years ago that we actually started really looking. Um, but I had had other people on the show that talk about how medical studies really weren't inclusive of women until the nineties, like at all because of that factor, the hormonal factor, and it made things too complicated and too difficult. But clearly, this is something that needs to be looked at. I'm glad that they finally are. Um, Can you talk a little bit about those biological differences that are going on between boys and girls and why it is so intense for girls and how that actually manifests in their bodies, in their brains when they don't feel safe? Absolutely. So we know that um, our young people have a lot of good reason to not feel terribly safe right now. They're growing up in a very different world. Let's just list a few of those reasons. And this is across gender, across gender fluidity, across any kind of um, way in which we want to refer to young people, whether cisgender or trans, doesn't matter, right? All young people are being affected by these. I want to be very clear about that. Um, I am the mother of a son and a daughter. I see all young people struggling. Okay. So, but as kids are coming of age today, unlike us, um, they're facing climate disasters, climate change, many of them in their own neighborhoods, right? There are floods. I know certainly where we live in a hundred year floodplain, we have floods now every six weeks or so. Um, it's just wherever you live. If you live in the West, it's burning. In the East, it's flooding. School shootings are ubiquitous. Um, Pew did a study where uh, Pew Charitable Trust, where a majority of kids now fear their school will be next. And I ask you, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? We also have been through a pandemic, but to be clear, these rising escalating rates of depression and anxiety and self-harming girls were well-established before the Mm -hmm. pandemic. That has thrown gasoline on an already existing fire, but in no way does it account for the trend that we have seen for more than a decade. We also have, hello, social media. So to explain why social media can be so emotionally toxic and affect the body and brain, I want to take you way back across evolutionary time and explain something called social safety theory, which is the brainchild of George Slavich, who is um, a professor of psychiatry at UCLA and director of the UCLA Stress Lab. And 
he and others in the field have done a lot of research to articulate this and that way back across evolutionary time when we were hunters and gatherers, it required a lot of cooperation among the tribe, right, to get through as a small group of people and succeed against the elements, against starvation, against predators, against marauding tribes that might be wanting your resources. This meant everyone in harmony working in a tight-knit way. However, the first sign across evolutionary time and back in the hunter-gatherer era, the first sign that you needed to be wary that you might be in danger physically was, guess what? Social stress, mm-hmm. being dissed socially, not being included, being made fun of, because those were the very first indicators to the brain that you might not be safe going forward. And what did that mean way back? It meant, hmm, your gene pool might not have the good food coming off the fire. You and your children might not be in the center of the tribe. You might be at the outside, the first to be vulnerable to predators or marauding tribes. And it might mean, in a worst-case scenario, ostracizing. And ostracizing is the fear of being ostracized is one of the biggest fears of the human brain. And in order to prepare for that, because it meant you were going to die if you were on your own, out there trying to live on berries with predators and other tribes, it's a short life. And in order to prepare for that, the human brain and the immune system are chatting all the time. We used to think that the brain wasn't an immune organ. I wrote a whole book about how we have blasted past that fallacy in 2020, the angel and the assassin. And we know now that the brain is an intricate immune organ talking to your immune system and your nervous system. It's a 24-hour chat that they are having. And guess what they're chatting about? Are you safe or not safe? And if that answer is, I might not be safe, your immune system pumps up all of those inflammatory stress hormones to prepare for being in physical danger. You might have a wound if you're out there at the edge of the tribe. Your immune system, so smart across evolutionary time, learned to ramp up in preparation for physical harm in the face of social and emotional threats. Now let's go back to social media. All day getting liked, disliked, included, excluded. And for girls, girls spend more time on social the relationship between the time girls spend on social and emotional health problems is greater in girls than in boys. What would be part of the reason for this? Hmm, let's tick them off on our fingers. Girls are much more likely to be evaluated based on appearance, skin, hair, weight, body. Girls are much more likely to be expected to post about their physical appearance, face, body, in order to be popular on social media, which let's be clear is being popular, period, Mm -hmm. in your social group. Girls are more likely to be victims of harassment online 
and to see other women being victimized, not just by harassment online, but turn on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, which kids don't use Facebook, but or TikTok. Oh, gymnasts have been harassed, you know, and abused by their trusted doctor, um, Jeffrey Epstein, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, name a man who got really, really powerful, who girls don't see in some way being abusive toward girls like them. So this is the context in which girls are coming of age. And as they get all of these messages, the immune system and the brain ramp up a defense. It is an evolutionary mismatch Mm -hmm. between the pressures that girls are growing up with today in a still largely culturally misogynistic world. The influx of social media, which to be clear, can also be used for good, right? There are lots of good things about social media, but is largely toxic to girls in this age group because of our expectations of girls and the way in which we respond to them as they develop into womanhood, one of which is sexualizing them way before their brains are ready for it. And you put all that together and you have a lot for the developing female brain and body to respond to. Add that puberty is happening a lot earlier, which is a period of time where all of the hardships, all of the adversity you have ever faced as a developing child and teen is going to be taken into account as the brain remodels itself based on, it's kind of like a chess game, a computer chess game. That computer chess game is going to evaluate every move before it calculates the next one. Mm. And when it thinks the next one is more hardship, stress, and danger, that begins to change the brain very in very significant ways. Right. And I mean, it's almost like you're forming these deep grooves that have to deal with that for, for decades if you don't heal. I mean, that's that to hear all of that, it's frightening. And I, I know, think, I know. And that's why I think we should get to what we can do about right, it. Right, right. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get to the second part of the book. Um, the, the turning point though, like we've, I think honestly though, naming the problem is key. It's the most important thing because I write can. about that. Absolutely. Yes. If we didn't know this, right, then we would still be scratching our heads. You know, every day we see another headline, why are girls suffering? Like what's happening? And yes, the knowing the problem is just to get, okay, let's take them, you know, let's limit social media, let's let's, you know, make schools safer, let's block, you know, not give them so much. If you don't understand this intersection on a neurobiological or to use a fancier word, psychoneuroimmunological level, which basically means psych, thoughts and feelings of safety, and neuro brain synaptic connectivity and immu how the brain is talking to the body to ramp up a stress response if we don't get that that's happening differently in the girls we love and teach and raise and who are clients and if we don't go into doctor's offices if we don't get that then we don't really understand how crucial these 15 antidotes to helping girls 
really are and that we need to get to it. We all need to get to it. We need to get to it now. Now, I should say, I don't believe, and I write about this, that we should need this information to care about girls and treat girls better. I think it's a shame that we have to go out there and say, oh, we have this new science. And it turns out the way we're treating girls and the way girls are growing up is really bad. We shouldn't need it. We should care about all children, right? right? We should care about all children. We should just want the fact that they're suffering to be enough for us to get to it. But it's not. I think too, like having the science behind it gives it the validity that we all need to take corrective action and even just preventative action. So let's get into the juicy stuff. Let's talk about what we can do as parents. You know, even parents listening to this who have three and four-year-olds, and this is coming down the pike, I think that this is crucial for them to know this. So can you give us some some of the things that you write about in the book that are going to shift this paradigm in a positive direction? Well, I think everything starts with remembering that sense of safety, because the way that I envision it in my mind is sort of like those Russian tea dolls that stack inside each other. And out at the very outer, uh, you know, the outer one is really society at large, right? It's the universe our kids live in. And then that next one inside is their community, that tighter community, which might be um, their school and their extended family. And then the next one is their family of origin, that first group. And then when all of those are safe, when they feel and are experienced safely, then that is what ensures us that that tiny little figure in the center feels safe within herself. So we could start there with that first little um stacking, uh, whatever we want to call it. Um, and that is the family of origin. And this episode of motherhood unstressed is sponsored by Sambacol. Fall is here and you know what that means. Cooler weather layers. And of course the kids are back in school. Now with that comes the threat of illnesses. It's what we've all known since we've had them in daycare, right? Um, but Samacol offers a great way to support their immune systems. They have key vitamins like A, C, and E, and also a natural source of powerful antioxidants. So you're boosting that immune system and you're helping keep them healthy, even though they're back in the day-to-day, -day, especially as the temperatures get cooler and sicknesses start to increase. Um, but Samacol is great because they have a lot of different products to help you get that black elderberry in your system. Uh, they have syrups, gummies, chewable tablets drink powders, capsules, and more. Our family loves the gummies, I have to say. I love them. They're sweet and tart, and I feel like it's a little treat in the middle of the day whenever I pop them in. And my kids do too. So it's easy to get them that immune boosting support that they need for the school year and beyond. Now, if you're tuning into this, you know I'm going to get you a good deal. You can get 15% off your next order of $9.99 or more at samicolusa.com and use my promo code MOTHERHOOD15 at checkout. That's 15% off your order of $9.99 or more at samicolusa.com using the code MOTHERHOOD15. So when we go back to that question of are you safe or unsafe, those first messages come from the family. They come from parents. They come through a, that rarity, which is a parent who has done their own work. 
on their own trauma. So, you know, I write a lot about that in the book. I wrote a lot about that in my book, Childhood Disrupted. Um, it's so important that as adults, our own trauma has been addressed because just as during development, the placenta is sort of like a screen for all the different toxins or hits or stressors that could come toward a developing child, for a child throughout childhood and as our children develop, that's really established by how regulated a parent is. A parent is really that screening tool, that screening system. And I don't mean you can't see this book because you're not ready for it. I mean, they have done the work to feel safe and to share that sense of regulation. Because a child who grows up and later knows how to regulate themselves and feel safe, even when things aren't safe, let's be clear, we can't protect kids from everything. Not at all. But to have the skills and tools to feel safe when things are topsy-turvy and off-kilter, that is patterned on thousands of minute moments and experiences of having an adult, a caregiver, emulate that for you, model that for you. So there is a lot of work to be done. Of course, I get way into the details in the book. However, to reassure parents, this doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) I have two children. It means that you're doing the work to learn how to rebound within yourself when you make mistakes. And it also means that you have the ability to take various scripts that we work on in the book and, you know, that I present in the book and begin to figure them out so that even while you're regulating yourself in hard moments and high stress parenting moments, and if you don't have them, I, 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 you know, it just, I've never met a parent in all the hundreds of talks I've given. I've never met a parent who can say that they don't have them. To be able to have a skill set in your own head and words that come out of your own mouth, whereas you're learning in your own learning curve, you're able to model and reflect and do things in a way that create a container of safety. So I'm really brass tacks in the book. I like to break things down. Again, I'm a parent. I wrote this book thinking what, you know, what are all of the greatest public health sages telling us and then running it through my own brain and going, how would this sound? What would this be like? And what do I wish I had done differently? So everyone who reads this book is really benefiting from my own failures um, and regroupings toward getting it right. I love that. I love that too. Like you're a journalist. So you're you're writing from the point of, of the people, you know, you're making it translatable to all of us so that we can get, you know, this this science and all of these studies from these high priests of scientists into, you know, real life situations. Like, I think that's a critical part of the book and why this book chose to come through you. Oh, you're very sweet. And I would say high priestesses too, because as a 
feminist writer, I'm also very, very clear that I want to amplify the greatest female scientists and immunologists that we have out there who have largely been held back in the ways that women are often held back. So, you know, they, and a lot of them are at the forefront of this research because guys weren't doing it. Right. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Um, so you talk about the family being primary and in, in establishing a realm of safety. How can the community, um, that social aspect, once they're you know out at school and, and activities after school, how can that contribute to a feeling, a greater feeling of safety or at least inclusion in an ever <laughs> divisive world? Yeah. So of course, the first thing we want to do is work on our own history, our own trauma, and have you know. Um, scripts and tools to be that parent that we know our children need, but we can't protect children from everything. And again, we wouldn't want to, right? Because we need a little wobble. It's really important that as kids develop, they have a little child size wobble or teen size wobble because that neural structure needs to develop too, right? Like, oh, I know what to do when I forget my homework. I, I know I know how to handle these feelings. I know how to manage situations like this. That neural structure has got to be there so that when kids go off on their own, they can come back to that sense of, I've got this. Now, of course, with bigger size adversity, kids certainly, uh, parents certainly have to step in. But when we're thinking about kids in the, in the larger world, there are, you know, 15 different, well, I don't know, 12 different anecdotes that I have in the book for that. And they include, you know, making sure that you are working with your kid's school, you know, be a, be a partner with your kid's school. Kids go to school, very stressful situations, and we have a great dearth of counselors in the public school system. Teachers are burned out. But really knowing how the right things to say and not say to open up that conversation with schools, we tend to shy away from talking to teachers um, uh, or counselors about our children's emotional health. And yet, if they sprain their ankle, you would let the coach know right away, right? So, yeah. so we need to really kind of break through that We also want to make sure that as our girls are growing up, we do some really pretty simple things to connect them back to community. I talk in the book a lot about the importance of avatars. So I use the word avatars here in a way it hasn't been used in a very long time. Not the kind of avatars that young people think of on video games or in movies. But the original Hindu use of the word was A being who comes into your life expressly to help you develop into your best, most incredible, absolute self. And when I say avatar, I'm thinking of other women in the community who may share interests with your daughter, who might be great examples of how to be calm and strong and regulated and and might be somebody who is a female photographer and your daughter is into photography or a female poet and your daughter is into poetry or a filmmaker or um, through groups. There are groups like um, girls, you know, coding for girls, for girls who like to code. Uh, For a while, the Pentagon was running a special national security project for young girls to come in 
and strategize about what they would do in different events. So there are lots of different programs that are geared toward pairing older women with girls and to bring them into that sense of female community and have women to look to and turn to as they themselves are developing. There are lots of age-appropriate groups for girls who are interested in the same thing. And there are other ways to connect to community, like making sure that you and your family are doing things with safe other families. You know, weekend retreats for um, for families who like to meditate together, um, you know, hiking together, camping trips together. Our kids are increasingly isolated away from nature, away from community. And we can strategically start to build those back into our children's lives. We're not here to do it alone. We are the most important person in this story other than the child. Of course, our child is always that most important center in the figure of those stacking Russian tea dolls. But we are the biggest influence. And we also want to be sure to bring lots of positive experiences into our children's lives, um, not just focusing on the negatives that are happening. We can wonder aloud together with our kids to help open up possibilities and hope and and you know i wonder what it what what we'll do at, when the pandemic is fully over i wonder what we can do about climate change i wonder what that bluebird is putting in his nest we can build relational awareness so it goes on and on I'm a brass stacks person. I'm a super <laughs> logical person. And that's why I put, you know, 15 of these strategies in the book. Oh, I love that. And to everyone listening, um, get the book because I think naming the problem obviously was key, but then also the solutions that are all in there are so important. Donna, we are at the end of the time for this, this particular interview, but if there were one lasting message that you would want to leave with the listener, what would that be? It's never too late. Wherever you are in your parenting journey, wherever your child is in their development, it is absolutely never too late. As soon as you begin to put the strategies and antidotes that work for you and your family together, and let's be clear, girls aren't struggling like this for one reason. And so it would be foolish to think that we could do just one thing to help them. This is a bundling together of ideas and strategies based on the latest science to help girls not only feel safe, but to grow strong with a sense of mastery and identity within themselves so they can go take on the world. And we're not alone in this, and it's never too late to begin. The shifts that occur wherever you are in this process of motherhood or fatherhood or mentoring, it's mind-boggling what happens when we bundle together these neuroprotective strategies and begin to implement them in girls' lives. Mm, I just got chills when you said that. So beautifully said. Donna, where can our listener find out more about you and get the book? 
you can go right to my website, um, DonnaJacksonNakazawa.com. And that Nakazawa part is hard, so I'll spell it. It's Donna Jackson, N as in Nancy A, K as in kangaroo A, Z as in zebra A, W as in water A, dot com. I'm also on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter and I'm under Facebook on Donna Jackson, Nakazawa author. So I think I'm pretty easy to find. And um, on the website, you can see some of the early praise and reviews for the book. You can see all of the really cool people who came in with endorsements for the book and just really made me so happy and blew my mind. You can see um, a way to get an early excerpt and uh, excerpt and sneak peek of the book. Um, if you pre-order, they have all kinds of fancy things Random House is giving away. Lovely, lovely. Well, thank you so much for spending years researching and writing this book. I think the world needs this now more than ever. So thank you. And thank you for spending time with my audience today. Thank you, Liz, for having me. I really appreciate it. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast. Please remember to review and subscribe to this podcast.